Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, we're back for another session and day two. Um, this is one of our final sessions with my dear friend, Rasul Berry. I'm excited to have him with us. You've seen him. He was on the Through Eyes of Color conference, and he was with me answering questions uh, for Why Don't Go DC edition. So I'm thankful to have you. Welcome, Rasul. Well, thank you so much for having me. So glad to be here with you, Lisa. Yes. Glad to have you. One of the reasons I wanted to bring Rasul back, especially for this session, because he participated a while I don't go, but also he's a pastor. And I think for this to be a pastors and leaders conference, we need to hear pastors speaking into this space, especially the why I don't go space. And we titled this why they don't come. And this is meant for me and Rasul to give kind of a debrief uh, for from our why I don't go DC. So uh, Rasul, tell our audience, what was your experience uh, at why I don't go? And why do you think what you learned there was beneficial for you as a, as a pastor? Yeah. Um, I was so grateful to be a part of that conversation um, and really listening to the stories and the perspectives of the panelists uh, who chose to be there. And I think one, it was just really inspiring and, and really encouraging for me to see a group of people who used to go to church, who know that are familiar with that culture, familiar with those uh, that approach, many of whom have experienced church hurt, to actually put themselves in a position where on the record, they're going to say, this is why I stopped going. This is why I'm in a different place. And to do so in a way in which they were very um, uh, gracious, I would say they were not angry and, you know, uh, and vengeful, but they were very uh, thoughtful um, about their experience, about the shortcomings. And, um, and I think that we live in a time especially in the last couple of years where for the first time really in like modern history that there was a legitimate reason for nobody to be going to church, right? Like, you know, that used to be like, oh, I should be going. And there are people who for decades had a rhythm, you know, that was completely thrown off. And that gave them opportunities to really re-examine their choices, their commitments, and to help them see, I don't have to be here. And so I think unsurprisingly, we see in that same period that Pew's research comes out for the first time in 2020, that there are more Americans that don't go to church than that do go to church. And um, and so I think in the midst of that moment, I think we're all in the middle of a reckoning to go, well, why do, it's almost like, why do we go to church? You know what I mean? Not just why don't you come, but why do we still come? And I think um, it was really helpful to listen um, to, to 
really lament with some of the stories that there were and the experiences that people had, but also this amazing thing happened while we were there that the very practice of the listening and engagement gave them new possibilities and opportunities to see, well, maybe there's something completely like that I didn't miss. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't completely move on, but still consider. And I, and that was really fascinating and encouraging to see. So I'm, I'm grateful for the courage of the people, their honesty, and to have been, been able to be in the room and really answer some questions that were, you know, really uh, thought provoking and, uh, and, and challenging. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the additional reasons that I thought you would be really helpful for Q and A is because you are in New York city, the crux of culture and you engage these kind of questions all the time, just being in the city, probably engaging people more than any other city, maybe LA more, but New York and LA, I feel like are the cultural melting pots of the Mm. world. Uh, of the U.S. specifically, and you, you're you engaging a lot of people. So when you're engaging people on the street, on the train, you're always coming across different kinds of walks of life, different faiths. Um, yeah. I'm in the Bible Belt, so most people are still a little bit churchy. And yeah. so, but when you're in those places in New York and L.A., people are so far removed from church culture that it's almost like, what are you even talking about? You almost yeah. have to reintroduce Jesus starting from the very beginning. And so um, what what maybe surprised you about the the questions and engagement um, that happened there versus what you encounter every day in, in the NYC? Yeah, uh, great question. And I, I will start, I mean, with kind of what I alluded to uh, at the end of my initial comments which was that um, here, just to echo what you were saying, in New York, it's a post-Christian society in many ways. Like, like literally, you know, you go out and as opposed to being in the Midwest or the South where you say you're a pastor and they're like, there's some just generic esteem and, and value in New York. It's almost like, what? You do what? Like, that's weird. Um, they're like, why are you wasting your life? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, huh? Um, and so I think from jump, there's that. But the other thing, though, too, that we don't want to miss in that, it's not just post-Christian, like there's nothing else, just there's a highly secularized culture. And the thing that's tricky about secularization is that it likes to pretend that it's not a thing. Like, in other words, part of the 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 philosophical sleight of hand, if you will, of our current cultural age is that it pretends like it's just objective reality with no presuppositions and no biases, right? And so the view of looking at people who are of faith, you know, whether that's Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever, is like they are doing some extra, but we're just being like normal, regular people. Like that's that's the and that that idea and that point of view is more and more being shared across the globe and across the states as kind of the normal way of thinking about things. Like think about it. Like if you look at movies or shows like um, you know uh, Handmaid's Tale or the the Righteous Gemstones or all these different shows that kind of show these like just this like the scary thing is like the religious order of the day. 
And the way to free yourself from that is to be non-religious, right? Like that's a very um, particular way of looking at the world. And it's one that is dominant in, in New York and, you know, in LA and just like this aspect of culture. And so that reality is something that is different than what, what we, we, what I experienced in talking to the folks, because that reality is a bit hostile to Christianity oftentimes um, in particular, like, or to, you could say definitive faith claims or uh, objective truth claims. Those things are somewhat hostile to. What I found in talking to the group that we talk with was there was not hostility toward the framework of a of a of a way of looking at the world, a worldview that was Christ, that was Christ-centered or that was God-centered. That wasn't their beef. Their beef was with the uh, trappings of just people being mistreating others or being legalistic or being judgmental or the systems or, or even just being in a place where they just had questions that just couldn't be answered. And so it was a different, so I, w- I was like surprised at how open folks were. Cause sometimes you see these stats like Barna or Pew research and it's like, all oh, these people are leaving the church and they just hate it. And then you actually talk to these folks and you're like, no, that, there's not hate there. There's, a decision to do something else with their time and their life in light of some things that happened and they brushed up against. But it really caused me to see that there was some hope, but also some real introspection that the church needed to figure out how do we pivot to become a better version of ourselves? Because the version of ourselves that we presented to the folks in that panel, they were actually attracted to, but it was just very different than the version that they thought they had to sign up for in order to engage in this thing called church. Mm-hmm. So as I think about why I don't go, we don't want it just to be a Jew three thing that Jew three does. Obviously we do the series, but I want it to be something churches do because I believe that the more why I don't go conversations we have, the more retention we'll have in church. Hmm. And how can we create this space? And, you know, we could say like, I could say, well, just do this. Um, but obviously I'm not a pastor. So, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a PK, but I understand that implementation in church culture is different. You can have an idea, but that idea has to flush its way through church culture, through personalities, mm-hmm. through systems. All of those things have to take into consideration, be taken into consideration. So it's like, this is a cool idea, but what would it look like in a church context? What does it look like yeah. for a church to create safe spaces right. and not just, you know, have a a circle and say, Hey, young people, what are your questions? You know, you no, know that, 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 no. Are thinking about it, but what, right. what would be some things as a pastor you think would be good for churches to implement in light? Of All right. That? I'm going to try not to get too in the clouds. I'm a philosophically oriented dude. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to make this simple, but, um, I would start with us needing to examine our tone and our posture and our communication style as a church. And particularly what I mean by that is, I guess a simple question, are we a a safe space for people to express their doubts, their questions, their reservations, or are we the type of space that 
someone asking those things or admitting those questions would cause them to feel alienated and isolated and alone. How do we deal with um, moral failures that people experience? How do we deal with um, the questions of doubt um, and just those type of things? I, and to me, that is both a theological question and it's a question about how we see ourselves in the realm of culture. What I mean by a theological question, there's a real, it fascinates me that Jesus was harder on religious people than he was with the sinners, quote unquote. And I think that there's a lesson in that, that the people who were, you know, he said, woe to you who, you know, uh, make it difficult for people to come to a knowledge of God. Like, it'd be better for you that a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. I mean, this harsh language about the, like, the, about what happened, what, the judgment for leaders, religious leaders, who make it difficult for people to come to faith. And I see a contrast between the grace and the empathy and the acceptance of Jesus and the harshness and the judgmentalness and the kind of type of um, rigidness that we tend to express as a church. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not one that's here to say loving people means accepting everything that they do or not having any standards or any of those things. We have to speak the truth in love. Like Jesus was full of grace and truth. He told the woman that was caught in adultery, you know, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Like there was both things there. And yet at the same time, you know, time and again in those conversations that we had revealed uh, a certain experience that people had, a lesson that they were taught implicitly. It was never taught, here's a chapter, here's a verse, but the way that they experienced things was that one, don't you dare question or, or, or express doubts, because if you do, you're going to be on the outside. Or two, like, don't you dare go out there into the world and be influenced by worldly ideas. Um, we had a gentleman who talked about how his interest in sociology and social work and the social sciences caused them to say that you're studying the devil's, you know, stuff and you're going to be condemned for that um, just for being in college. And that was what turned him away. And so I think that it's really important for us to ask the question, um, am I a safe space? And part of that, just to be practical from a preaching standpoint, that means I need to model that on, on stage. Have I ever shared uh, a, a challenging issue that may have caused doubt or may have caused uh, wrestling? Have I affirmed the process or, or brought to light in the scripture how that posture that Jesus has to, the, to you know, leave the 99 and go after the one it should be modeled in us for us as leaders? Um, have I just in, embraced and affirmed people who have doubted? Uh, those are some things that we can do. But in addition to that, um, I think that there's just the practical way of what we even offer as curriculum, going through things like, um, you know, reason, uh, like Tim Keller has a great book, uh, I think reason for the reason for God or things like that, where you can actually just invite and really literally just engage people with content around 
questions, you know, um, through eyes of color curriculum, you know, from Jew three is another great project or great product that can help with that. So I think that's where I would go practical is like in our tone, in the way that we, what we emphasize up front, are we modeling for people? This is a safe space where you can come with your doubts and come with your questions and come with your struggles and be supported in your process. Yeah. And I think I, you're the, point about tone I really, really love because I think pastors sometimes think that me sharing doubt or me sharing a weakness kind of makes people look down on me or they want to create this space or this faulty sense that I have to have it all together. And that's what that's what makes moral failure even more hard for people to comprehend or any kind of other failure or any doubt you may be wrestling with when they hear it because you set yourself up in a way that you kind of aided the pedestal, like you kind of built the pedestal and and stood on it versus saying, hey, don't put me on the pedestal. Now there's, I'm watching over your soul. So there's accountability. I'm going to be judged harsher for what I preach, but I'm still a human being and I still wrestle with things. I think that relatability helps with people feeling that they're not alone. Like when you share your stories of doubt, they're like, oh, okay. It's it's okay. Like yeah. that's what made my professor so relatable to me when I came to him, my New Testament professor, I was telling him about struggling with the problem of evil and, you know, innocent, like I could understand older people experiencing evil because you, you might say it's something they did, but when it's little ki- kids, it's like, what did they do to deserve evil that's done to them? And so he was like, instead of trying to give me this big philosophical answer, he just said, me too. Like, and it was just like encouraging. That was half the battle. Cause it's like, okay, somebody who has a PhD in new Testament is still struggling with this. So mm-hmm. it's okay for me to struggle as a student. And I think, I think that's something that people sometimes miss. Yeah. And that's the power of the pulpit. So I, I just to give you a couple examples, um, I'm very thoughtful about these stories that I tell, the illustrations that I give um, in that regard. Like, for instance, mental health right now is a huge issue. It's an issue that um, the church has sometimes uh, made it difficult for people to get the type of help that they needed, whether that's psychological counseling or even medical you know, prescriptions. And so I make it a point to tell, you know, at different points to share an anecdote. Um, can you hear that? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that's, I mean, I live in a Jewish neighborhood, so that's the alarm that the Sabbath uh, is about to start. So that's the first one. That's like the five minute warning one. Then there's another one that happens. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, so it's going to come back in a couple minutes, but um, the, I make it a point to share about the fact that I experienced therapy and I, you know, you know, I had a session today. It was really helpful. And I do that because I want to normalize. And I know that I have to kind of go extra, uh, extra step because oftentimes people may assume that that's not a, a valued experience in the church or that's something that they should be ashamed of. Um, the other thing, um, we, had, you know, what's, you know, what's simple, man, yo, the saints had it right back in the day, testimony service. Let me bring it back to testimony service, because we had a a year in, you know, kind of end of the year 
testimony service on a Tuesday night. And let me tell you that like, I, I was, I forgot how powerful it is to just have the saints get on a mic. You know, we screened ahead of time. So make sure that you, you know, get, do some coaching. So folks ain't <laughs> going wild on the mic, but to, we just shared that we had, we gave them opportunity to share their stories. And there was this one lady, she shared about how, um, and so we screened it. So we heard this earlier in the, in the, in the week, but she talked about how she was really struggling in her faith, uh, before the pandemic. And, um, but she just decided to make her way when we were able to open things back up again. And she said that while the people were worshiping, she was like, I didn't have the faith to lift my hands and to be able to be excited about the lyrics that we were singing, but I was leaning on the other people's faith. And I just thought that was such a beautiful picture that she said that. And people were just like, yo, I feel that. And the fact that she said that um, just did something for all of us. There was another young lady who, after she got baptized, um, ended up getting pregnant, uh, was really, you know, shame was thinking about abortion and met with the pastor. And because our lead pastor gave her uh, just encouragement and said, we will, as a church, come alongside of you and help you. And she shared that story. And let me tell you, like, you know, it was like, there's not a dry eye in the house. And so I think um, it's important to create spaces where people can testify, can be affirmed in their stories, because what did Revelation say? They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So that's another thing that we can do to just implement that. See the saints, they do that a hundred years ago and we just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's powerful. And I love what you said about um, the pregnant young lady and, and instead of offering condemnation, offering support. Yeah. And I think that church hasn't done a good job of that. Right. And so to hear y'all modeling that, I think it's so vital because, you know, when you think about people saying, why well, don't go? And then people telling their church stories online, church, church stories, when they had moral failures or something like that, they received condemnation and not, and not community help well, where correction can be given, but also community yeah. to, to come alongside the body. So I think that's so dope. And I think that's a good model for, for people engaging people who, who fall into different things and different vices um, to help, because that creates a safe space, right? Where people yeah. say, I come to the church for refuge yeah. and not condemnation. Um, and let me tell you, like that young lady, she's been on fire ever since. Like literally the only way, because she had no family here in New York City, the only way that she would have been able to take care of this baby is if like we helped. And so literally my wife, other people took turns, you know, doing what, she, you know, babysitting, doing things that she needed to do so she could work and get herself, you know, uh, you know, get her, her on her feet. And now she's just sold out, like just completely like, and seen God work in a way in this, in this love that she's experienced as a mother has helped her to see God's love as like, there's just these incredible things. So when we lead with compassion and empathy, we see the floodgates open up to a degree that you could never imagine than if we lead with like judgment and criticism. Mm -hmm. When we get to Q and A, um, what are some things you want pastors to keep in mind when they do Q&A that you think will be helpful Oof. for people to feel safe still? Yes. Yeah. Because I, I think. All right. So here's, a, here's another practical. I'm giving you all practical. Use a text in feature 
do not have people do not make people raise their hand and ask their question um in front of everybody because you will have a few brave souls that do that but many will not because that's an incredibly huge risk we we did a uh, sex and sexuality uh conversation uh where we did this feature there's like different ones like slido and other um web-based products that you can use so that it you know it has an interface and you can text you know text in and you can just kind of scroll through people can rate um which question they want to have asked and so you can actually so they end up becoming the ones that help you curate your questions because they're ranking the ones you did that at um in uh yeah courageous conversations right yeah. which which service did you use pigeonhole pigeonhole there you go so mm -hmm. that's another one but the point is there's two values with that one the the anonymity of being able to ask a question kind of protects the person who's asking the question from feeling like you know the judgment of those who may be around so there's some power to the anonymity of we don't know who asked this question but we want to answer two like especially if you use one of those services like pigeonhole um where you can actually invite people to rank the question so even if they're not there you know some people just like to be in the comments right they don't want to say nothing <laughs> they just want to see what's around and just be like and, and have their input that allows you to do that so that's a practical thing. But if you're not that tech savvy and you like, I don't know about none of the pigeonhole, what that mean? You can just give somebody a text, you know, a phone number and just say, hey, text in this number and you just work that way. But I would really encourage that you use some type of anonymous method. You can use paper and pen, put it in a, in a hat, like an offering plate. You, it could be as low budget and low tech as it needs to be. But that would be the first thing. The second thing is I would say, in the in the response remember that you're modeling an entire approach to how to engage with people on these things so i think you kind of do the encouragement sandwich there's another practical thing you start with you know something positive thank you for asking the question it's a good question you know what i mean i'm grateful that you asked then give a response if something in the response deserves some type of pushback or whatever and then you again finish it off with something positive so that you're ultimately modeling for people that we are we value your questions and that way we're we're modeling that is that when we get a question we don't blast the person or make light of it or mock it but we actually treat it with a sense of dignity that it deserves and so um those would be like some major things oh and then lastly lastly uh like your professor uh not every question needs an answer or deserves an answer um this is something you see with jesus all the time like he didn't answer every question because it wasn't all coming from the same place and as much as we want to encourage people to like be open some people just want to cause trouble some people just want to you know throw you know some fly in the ointment and they don't really care and want to know anything and so i think you want to be wise and savvy but also realize that I don't have to answer everything as directly as it needed. I can say, man, this is a complicated uh, topic that I really wouldn't be able to do justice in a two minute response, but I will give you this as like a big picture to say, um, or um, you could say, hey, I, I wanted you to, you know, answer, I mean, let me know, you know, here's an email. You can ask, you know, I'll, if you want me to know or want to hear my res response, email me and I'll give you more detail. 
Um, and then lastly, if you don't know the answer, <laughs> say you don't know the answer. Don't don't try to yeah. fake it till you make it. Don't try to pretend like because that would just, you know, because see, right now we have if there's 100 people in the church, there's 100 different fact checkers on their phones that are ready and willing to Google you and your answer. And if it ain't accurate, then that just hurts you and the credibility and maybe even their confidence in the faith. And so if you don't know, be like, that's a good question. I'm gonna have to think about that one and research that. And I'll get back to you on that some other time. Mm -hmm. So those would be my big takeaways uh, for how to engage in a Q&A that's going to be encouraging, that's going to be helpful for people. Yeah, I think that's great and vital um, because uh, no answer is better than the wrong answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, it, also, I would add the Q&A, maybe uh, what we do for problematic passages, we ask people to submit questions beforehand so mm. we can research those questions and then have some off the cuff. So when you have the no answers for the off the cuff, at least you had some answers for the pre-submitted. It gives yeah. you time. And when you tell people that's a good question, let me get back to you, get back to them. Uh, yeah. I know a story of a young man um, in Richmond. He went to his pastor saying, I got these questions. He was being uh, kind of approached by Hebrew Israelites. He went to his pastor, was like, hmm, good questions. Let me get back to you. Never got back to him. And now he's in Hebrew Israelism. Mm -hmm. And because he was like, if the pastor couldn't answer my questions, I, I have to go where the people had answers and so yeah. we want to be mindful we never know who people are getting approached by if people are trying to pull them away and so if they bring us a question try best to research oh. and get back to them let me let me can me throw another one in because that what you just said just reminded me of something especially on some thorny or like seemingly out of left field questions it's sometimes really helpful the best response you can have is a follow-up question to ask why they're asking that question, right? Because there could be a million reasons why someone's saying, hey, um, are black people the original Israelites, right? Like, and it's like, that could be a question. And you're like, why do you ask that question? Or like, what, you know, where did that come from? Like, there's always some stakes, some people, some conversations happening before the question gets there. And it's just really helpful because and it's helpful to be not asking the wrong, like sometimes someone is just curious because they saw something online. I don't know. I heard Kendrick Lamar's album and I was just curious. Sometimes it's like my brother is talking to me every day about this thing and what do I do? And so, or, or it could be something altogether different. The problem of suffering could cause somebody. So I would just say also asking again, this is what Jesus did, you know, um, sometimes when people ask them questions, he was like, so, you know, when, are you the, when, uh, Pilate asked him, are you the King of the Jews? Like who did, who told you about that? Like you ain't Jewish. Why do you care about who the King of the Jews is? Where you get that from? And so those sometimes asking the follow-up question before you get into your answer is also helpful. Yeah. I think that's, that's so helpful. So you will know, like you said, what the stakes are, um, before you answer the question, um, and you'll take it that, well, we always are taking questions seriously, but if the stakes are higher than uh, than usual, you know, hey, I need to really devote some attention to this because this is a life or death situation for, for the person. Yep. Um, as we wrap up, this time has went by so fast, but as we wrap up this why they don't come, what would be your admonishment or some words of wisdom that you would leave that you haven't already shared yeah. that you learned from this experience that you want pastors to take away from? Yeah, I, you know, I 
it was such an uh an honor for me to be in that discussion and interact with these folks who you know had you know left and had no plans on coming back and i think sometimes we live in a time period where there can be such a pessimism or a sense of just like we just taking L's all over the place, a real sense of low morale. And moments like that can cause you to think everybody hates the church. Nobody wants to leave. Like, you know, I was just me behind, you know, like Elijah, when he was like, God, I'm the only one left. And he's like, boy, there's 5,000, 7,000 people that haven't bowed their knees to bow. Like you ain't about yourself. Like, and, and I think that's sometimes that, that discouragement, it weighs heavy. And there was just this couple powerful things happened. Um, you know, one, the conversations kept going after the filming, the sense, like I said, you could tell, like, they was like, what church do you go to? You know, like, where can I, you know, go like, there was a sense of something awakened in them that said, wow, there are other options beyond what I, what I was thinking. But yo, a couple of weeks later, one of the folks from the panel, why I don't go to church came to our church in a different city. Like, you know, it just happened to be there and came. Uh, we had uh, dinner afterwards and just, you know, broke bread together and was just this incredible follow-up experience. And I was like, man, when we, and it was because he saw something and experienced something in that whole process that, you know, caused them to be like, you know what, I want to explore this more and dig a little deeper. And so, you know, that really encouraged me. And I would say that to know that just whatever somebody is walking away or doubting or taking the season, not to make it as like this black and white, they hate everything and they're not coming back. Sometimes it's just like leaning into a conversation and finding the fact that there are people who really are hungry and thirsty and just need some guidance to get them to the bread of life and the living water. Yeah. And I'm glad you shared that because pastors sometimes and people in the church leaders think, oh, this their frustrations, they don't need to be shared. They 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 just don't want to be there because of sin or different things. Some that's sometimes the case. But what we saw is that these people were open. And as you said, like you felt like if we were there another hour, revival might have broke out. Uh, I remember you said that at the end uh, just because of the conversation that was happening and you could see their hearts kind of turning even in the midst of that space. And so, you know, don't, don't allow people's putting their, saying their frustrations about the church. Don't internalize that. Try to distance yourself from that. Cause I think a lot of church people internalize and think, Oh, they talking about me. And it's like, no, they're talking about their experience. Don't internalize that. Yeah. And just like when you're talking to, you know, white brothers and sisters and you just like, when you start talking about racism and sometimes white people get defensive and you like, I'm not talking about you per se. I'm talking about my experience in that same way. Some black church members can do that same thing to the church in the church. And so it's like, understand you distance yourself from the criticism and allow people to speak, but don't internalize it. And then you can have a conversation that's fruitful. Amen. That's absolutely right. I totally agree with that. Not to internalize it. And it allows you to pivot and to a space where you can just listen and lead with empathy. I'm sorry you experienced that. Even if, and I, and do not lead with a defense of, well, I don't think the pastor meant that. And I think you misunderstood, or I don't think they meant to, because what that does is it causes someone to say, 
think, oh, you don't value, you don't value my experience. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I would just start with always with, man, I'm sorry that you experienced that. And I could see how that would be really hard to hear and cause I would want to leave if I thought that that was what was going on. And like, then you can start to ask a little bit more, you know, about like, what do you think that that means about God? Or what do you think that that means about the people or being able to offer, but don't try to defend people or the institution. God don't need your defense. Yeah. You know, someone said like a lion doesn't need, you know, uh, someone, a, a defender, you know, just let it out the cage and do its thing. Like the gospel is enough. It does its work by itself. And so, but yeah, then on the flip side, don't think that you need to defend the people at a church in order to defend the gospel, because those are two different uh, things. And I think as long as we do that, we'll find that people will be more open to wanting to share with us the process and go, you know, that one experience that like that alone tells them that the one experience that I had is not the totality of experiences that people could have. Maybe it was something unique about that situation. And that says it more than we could, it demonstrates it more than we could ever say. it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Rasul. This has been a rich conversation. Y'all check out, if y'all haven't already, the Why Don't Go DC edition and uh, see how we navigated that space. And uh, after you listen to this debrief, maybe you'll go back and re-listen to it again if you've already watched it with fresh uh, ears and lenses um, to see a new, like, hey, like this is a model that I can follow in my church. Um, Thank you for listening to this session, Why They Don't Come. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.